So what are you asking for for Christmas? I know it's still early in December, but we've officially reached the point, I think, where everyone is reaching out to you wanting to know what you want, or grandparents are texting you wanting to know what your kids want. Maybe your spouse is asking you what you want. So do you have an answer yet? What do you want for Christmas? Uh, My family is asking me, and honestly, I I keep saying to Lisa, like, I I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything I want. Truth be told, like, I'm, I'm a middle-aged white dad. Like the only thing that I want anymore is like time with my family and for some reason like old records and whiskey. Those are the only things that seem attractive to me these days. Can you, can you Amazon Prime those? The thing I'm most looking forward to about this season, honestly, is that moment on Christmas morning where I've got a cup of coffee in one hand and a breakfast taco in the other hand and I'm sitting on the floor watching the people that I love open gifts that make them smile. It sounds hallmark and saccharine, but it's true for me. That's what I'm looking forward to is that moment. See, there comes a time in your, in your celebration of the season as you mature and as you age where you care less about what you get and you, you care more about who you're with. You really do. That's what it becomes about. Uh, to put it in a kind of a hallmark way, it becomes about presence over presence. Last week, we started a, a conversation, a teaching series called Um, Christmas of another kind. It's it's our conversation that we're having all throughout Advent where we're asking a question, like how can we experience a different kind of Christmas? Rather than just go through the motions that we always go through this time of year, what if we used Advent for the reason it was given to us, which is to prepare for this season, to focus on the story, the history of what happened in this moment, and then reflect on how that might shape and influence our celebration of this season so that it might be a different kind of Christmas, a more meaningful Christmas, a more substantive Christmas. Perhaps if you're here as a follower of Jesus, a more, a more faithful celebration that, that more closely reflects what it is that's been given to us in Christmas. And what we heard today in the Gospel of John chapter 1 is that the power of the Christmas story is in the presence, the presence of Jesus. Not the gifts and the stockings and those kind of things, but the arrival of God taking on flesh and dwelling, residing with man. You know, the reason for the gifts and the parties and all those things is because God has come to dwell with us. In fact, that's not just what the Christmas season is about, God dwelling with his people. You you can make a case that that's actually what all of Christianity is about. God finding a way, him desiring and then deriving a way to be with his people. Uh, Look again at these words from Revelation 22, just verses 5 and 6. If you really let this kind of sink in, this will just make your jaw drop. If, If this is true, and we believe it is, if this prophetic, poetic promise of the picture is true, then it is jaw dropping in its implications and its beauty. Listen to this. Night will be no more, no more darkness. There will be no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. If you're familiar with the Christian story, you know how it starts. It starts in a garden where God is with his people. And then a whole bunch of bad stuff happens, 
And then Jesus shows up, and it's God in flesh, and God is again what? He's with his people. And then we fast forward to the promise ending, and what do you have? It's not... It's not a garden, but it's now a city, a recreated reality where God is with his people, but he's with us in such a profound and beautiful way that there's no need for the sun in the sky because the brightness and the beauty and the glory of God is so present, there's not an ounce of darkness at all. The whole thing, not just Christmas, but the whole story is about God's desire to be present with us. And what I want to do today is, is, is just quickly look at some things in the Christmas story about God being present with us in Christ. Reflect on a couple things and then wrestle with how they might change our celebration of the season. So, so as I reflect on this notion of God coming to dwell with man, taking on flesh, the first thing that hits me is this, is that the presence of Jesus was surprising, if not scandalous. Now, if, again, if you're familiar with the Christian story, you're going to say, yeah, but Matt, like, I've always heard that the arrival of a Savior was prophesied and predicted for like thousands of years. And, and that's true. For example, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years, history tells us, 700 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he, he talks about a son being born unto us, and he shall be called Mighty God. They should have seen this coming, and certainly they did see the arrival of a Messiah, a Savior, a King coming, and they were anticipating that. But here's the difference. The incarnation, the reality of God taking on flesh and showing up and dwelling with us, that notion caught everybody by surprise, and, and it blew everyone away. And by the way, that's ultimately what got Jesus killed as Jesus grew up and he started his mission and his ministry what God Jesus killed wasn't, wasn't that he hung out with questionable people, though he did. It wasn't that he, he taught amazing things, though he did. It wasn't his miracles that got him killed. It was the fact that he walked around saying things like, I and the Father are one. No one comes to the Father except through me. Before Abraham was, I am. That's what got Jesus killed. That's what did it. The notion that he was not just a prophet or a good man or a great teacher, but that he was God himself, one with the Father. That's, that's what got him killed. That did it. And it's worth pointing out the uniqueness of the Christian message in this regard. That there is no other religion that, that posits that God himself has shown up, that God has taken on flesh and dwelt with us. In, in, in every other religion, God sends somebody else. If you look at Islam, if you look at Buddhism, if you look at ancient Judaism, if you look at Mormonism, if you look at Scientology and Tom Cruise, they all say the same thing. There is a God, and God has spoken, and God has shown up in some way, shape, or form, but he himself has not arrived. He sent a teacher, he sent a prophet, he's buried some plates in the ground. It's always come through someone else that God has sent, an angel, somebody, but God himself has never shown up, certainly not in taking on flesh. That's unique to the Christian message. And remember, in the ancient world, especially for ancient Jews, the, the body, the flesh, was seen as this profane thing that, that was constantly being corrupted by the realities of everyday life. They were, they were worried so much about being made unclean by this, that, or the other thing. And so then, here's God... In the birth of Jesus Christ, here's God, 
the most divine, the most holy. And, and, and what are we learning? That he's conceived in a womb. He's born of a woman. He's living. He's walking. He's breathing. God is walking around going, <sighs> he's sweating. He's chewing. He's, he's doing all the things. And, and to the first century person, they're thinking, as this story is emerging, this is not how it's supposed to work. This is not how it's supposed to work. The divine doesn't mix and mingle with the profane. The divine doesn't take on flesh and hang out as a human. That'd be like seeing LeBron James wear Crocs on the court or watching Jeff Bezos try and fly spirit to outer space, right? Some things just don't fit. They don't belong. They just aren't right. The divine doesn't mix and mingle with the human. Yet what do we have at Christmas in the incarnation of Jesus Christ? We have the maker of the cosmos being held by Mary, and she is counting his fingers and toes. How else do you describe that other than surprising, if not scandalous? The presence of God with us, surprising to say the very least. The other thing that comes to mind is that this presence of God, though of course surprising, if not scandalous, the way in which God lives out his presence among us is so intimate. That's the best word I can think of. It's so intimate. Think of like major celebrities of our day and powerful politicians. They technically live in the same world as us, but they also at the same time don't live in the same world as us. They are at arm's length from the realities of everyday life. And on the rare occasion that, that like a super celebrity is caught doing something extra normal, the world freaks out. When my wife and I lived in New York City, uh, the R train came to a stop one day because Jay-Z decided to ride the R train. And people couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that Jay-Z was taking a train down to Barclays Center for a concert and the whole city comes to a grinding halt. For Houstonians, the equivalent might be seeing George Strait at a Whataburger <laughs> slamming taquitos. It's one thing for God to take on flesh and join us here. But Jesus, as he grows, he maintains zero space between himself and the fullness of the human experience. He, he, he doesn't just take on flesh and live here at a distance. No, he becomes friends with the people that we would call canceled. He, he confronts the corrupt. He feeds hungry stomachs. He, he saw the sins and the struggles of the worst kinds of people. He saw that and he approached those people and he was like, I like you. I, I want to be friends with you. I forgive you. I love you. And it wasn't a stunt. It was how he lived. In fact, and, and again, this is, this is mind-blowing. The, the book of Hebrews says this. Ra wrap your minds around this. Hebrews chapter 4. In Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Think about that. Think of all the respects in which you are tempted. All of them. Jesus didn't just join us here in flesh and blood. He befriended all of our struggles without sin for sure. But he walked alongside every temptation known to mankind. Think of all of them. You've done some terrible things. You've been tempted towards awful things. Me too. 
Think of the push and the pull and the wrestle and the struggle. Jesus got himself right next to all of those things. But not only that, again, it goes deeper. He attached himself to our implications. You see, he was without sin. We are not without sin. We've given into the temptation. We've done the horrible thing. We are collectively culpable as humanity for all the evils and injustices of this world. And so Jesus put himself underneath the punishments that we deserve for all of our failures. Not only is he like, I'm going to share in your flesh, I'm going to share in your life, I'm going to share in your food and share in your air, I'm going to share in your temptations, I'm going to share in your struggles, but he said, I'm going to die one of your deaths. I'm going to be buried in one of your graves. I'm going to rise out of it, but I'm still going to die. I'm still going to go through all of it. He unites himself to every part of the human experience. That's not just him taking on flesh and getting close. That, that's, that is intimate. And it's love. There's no other way to put it. So Jesus Christ taken on flesh, it is surprising and scandalous. It is intimate. But it wasn't just for show. Like it actually accomplished something. It was effectual. It was impactful and powerful. But why do you think we've been celebrating it for two millennia, which is a really long time? Why have we been throwing parties and wearing sweaters and Bacon cookies and come to church like this. Why? It's because in taking on flesh in this surprising and intimate way, Jesus Christ actually accomplished something that benefits you. Yes, some 2,000 years after the fact, it has immediate and personal benefit for you, for me, for all of us. It accomplished something. You see, see, by placing himself in our flesh and alongside our struggles and underneath our punishment, God has united himself to us. But then, by living perfectly in your flesh, by honoring God in the midst of all your temptations, by welcoming every whip, every nail, that human evil and injustice deserves. And by entering into your grave and rising from it, Jesus Christ has not only united himself to the full human experience, but he has conquered all the things that conquer us in this human experience. And now there are certain things that are true for you whether it really hits home in your heart or mind or not. These are just objective truths because of the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done in intimately and scandalously uniting himself to your life and mine, certain things are now true for you. Your sin, no matter what it is, and I'm, I, I'm not naive enough to think that there's, any, there's just mild sins represented in this room, in my life or yours. Any sin at all, the big stuff, the stuff you hide, the stuff you don't talk about with anybody, the stuff you're like, let's, let's forget that and pretend it never existed. Your sin, no matter what it is, has no ability to determine your relationship with the Father because of how Jesus Christ was present with us. Your shame, no matter what it is you carry it from, some relationship that failed, some choice that you made, something that was done by you, something terrible that was done to you, no matter what kind of shame that you carry, it has no right shaping how you see yourself and how you understand yourself. It has no right to do that. You should be seen only in the light of God's grace and mercy and his love because of how Jesus Christ was present for you. 
You don't have to walk around wondering, is God mad at me? Is he withholding from me? Is he punishing me? No, because of Jesus Christ and how he was present for you. You don't have to wonder that anymore. And even death, your death, mine, any death, all death is no longer the the period at the end of the sentence. It is now a gateway into life because of how Jesus Christ was present for us. That's why we sing. That's why we shop. That's why we put trees inside of our house. That's why we give presents. That's why we hang garland. That's why we stuff stockings. That's why we let the kids stay up late and make cookies for Santa. We do that because the incarnation of Jesus Christ actually accomplished something for you and for me and for every single person with breath in their lungs like he had breath in his lungs. All the Christmas presents in the world mean nothing apart from the actual physical presence of Jesus Christ in this world. If that didn't happen, then the only reason we're doing all of this is because it's changing seasons and it's all just sentimentality. And we have sweaters and songs and we have a whole lot of sugar cookies, but we are still stuck in all of our problems. Our presence mean nothing without the presence of Jesus. And thank God he's been present. Now, now, all of this brings me back to this question of a Christmas of another kind. If Jesus Christ is present in this scandalous and intimate and effectual, impactful way, then how might that shape my celebration so it's a better, truer reflection of that truth? What could it do and accomplish if I changed my celebration to reflect these truths in the lives of people that we love? How could the truth that God has taken on flesh and dwelt with us in this way change my celebration? Now, now quick caveat for those who are tempted to take it too far, like I sometimes am. Uh, Don't say to yourself, well, God was present with his people, so I'm going to walk into the uh, office Christmas party with an attitude that says, the Lord is here. Don't do that. Don't think that you're God's gift to anybody, all right? This is not a license to feel as though you are God in flesh. It's also not a license for you not to get a gift for your spouse. So like when your wife says, where's my present? Don't look at her and say, well, Pastor Matt said that my presence is the present. I will not respond to your text message when you tell me that you are sleeping on the couch till 2022, okay? What I'm saying is this, what if we folded certain questions informed by the truths I just shared? We folded certain questions into our celebration of the season. Questions like this, who do I know that would be surprised by my purposeful presence this year? Who do I know that would be surprised by my purposeful presence this time of year? I'll go first. For me, honestly, uh, sad but true for me, it would be my kids. Uh, This time of year is really busy leading up to my boss's birthday. Slow burn, you'll get it later. (laughs) This time of year is really, really busy leading up through Advent and leading up to Christmas Eve and doing all those things. Ministry is insane this time of year. So like if I were to come home by six on a Tuesday night and be like, let's get in the car and look at lights, my children's heads would explode. That doesn't happen. Or, Or maybe for you, it's, It's a member of your family that that you only ever have like surface level conversations with the two or three times you see them in a year. 
Like it's been decades since you've actually like squared up with them, looked them in the eyes and said something of substance, had a meaningful interaction with them. And, and there's probably, probably good reason in your mind for that, right? But, but, but what if you were more purposefully present with that person? It could be your neighbor across the street whom the Lord has just like put on your heart and mind and every time you see them, you can feel God being like, you should talk to them, you should become their friend, you should reach out to them. And every time you go to get your mail, like they're there getting their mail and you're like, ah, what if you actually got to know them, like reached out to them, loved them, like overlapped your life with theirs this season? Who around you could be wonderfully surprised by a more purposeful presence from you? And then the next question is this. Jesus was connected to us in an intimate, powerful way. What would it look like for you to add substance to your interaction with that person? Add some substance. You know how I do this? I ask questions. When I'm trying to add substance to a relationship with somebody else, I just, I just become the most curious person in the world. And you will be surprised what people will tell you. If you just keep asking questions, oh, really? Why isn't you, you haven't talked to your mom in like two months? Let's go there. Let's talk about it. People will share. And all of a sudden, this relationship's at another level. Now, it needs to be reciprocated. You should probably share too. Or what if you, what if you just decided that as you went through the busyness of this season in order to add substance to this relationship with this other person with whom you're trying to be more purposefully, kind of delightfully, surprisingly present with, you just invited them along as you ran the errand. You invited them along as you did the project. Things can go deeper when things are done together. Or, or what if you added prayer into the back and forth with you and this other person? Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, Matt, that, that takes it from zero to awkward real quick. I know it does, but it also adds incredible depth, and you'll be surprised at how people tend to respond to this. And I say that not just because I'm a pastor, because most people don't know I'm a pastor, but you'll be surprised when you say, hey, is there anything I can pray about for you? That people will tell you things, and then you can pray for them, and all of a sudden, whoop, it's deeper. Or you could just flip the script, and as you close out a conversation with somebody, you could say, hey, I don't know if you're the praying type, but, uh, but if you are, here's a couple things going on for me and, and my family that if you just keep in your thoughts and prayers would mean a lot to me. All of a sudden, it's going deeper. How can you add some substance to the interaction? Third question is this. Wrestle with this one this year. What need do I notice as I'm purposely present and I'm seeking to add substance? What need do I notice that I can generously address? And this is where presents and gifts and things actually come in and they become really powerful. Maybe your neighbor mentioned that they need somebody to watch the kids. And so you announce out of nowhere via text that you're going to take their children for three hours. It's not an abduction unless you want us to keep them for longer. But we're going to take your kids for three hours so you can go do whatever it is you've got to do. Or perhaps they mentioned something silly that they enjoy while you were in your substantive conversation with them. And so when you're out and about running your errands, you grab three or five or 10 of those things that they enjoy and you just drop them off at their house. Or they shared some concern with you, some issue that they have in their life while you're talking with them. And rather than just send them the Christmas card you're going to send to everybody else, you do what people used to do in the olden days. And you get out like a blank sheet of paper and you, you write a note on there that has just a simple little prayer about what it is they shared with you. And then you write Merry Christmas and you sign your name and you send that to them. I guarantee you that hits them in a deep place. What need can you notice that you can generously address? How might you better reflect 
the presence and the incarnation and the work of Christ in your celebration this season. Wrestle with those questions and I guarantee it happens. And look, here's why, among many other reasons, I think that this is so important. A couple of years ago, people were making such a big deal about trying to keep Christ in Christmas. And while I understand the sentiment, it is not the job of the politician or the girl at the checkout counter to keep Christ in Christmas. It's not their job. The whole world will celebrate Christmas, but, but it's the people of God who understand what this day is, who understand what the presence and incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ actually means. We're the ones who know this. We're the ones who've received this. We're the ones who have been changed by it. You want to keep Christ in Christmas? Show up more purposefully for someone you'd rather avoid. You want to keep Christ in Christmas? Add substance and depth to relationships that you would otherwise keep at the surface. You want to keep Christ in Christmas? Notice somebody's need, somebody's deep need, and at cost to yourself, meet that need in extravagant and surprising ways. That's how you keep Christ in Christmas. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's those who know him and who understand the implications of who he is and what he's done, taking it seriously, applying it to our own celebration, and we bring the impact of Christ to bear in the lives of people around us. It's on us, and that's actually what it means. That's it. That's what we get to do because all of this crazy stuff is true. Christmas, the, the whole Christian story is about God desiring and then deriving a way to be ludicrously present with his people in the garden, in the end, in between, and today. That's what it's about. That's also, if you noticed, what, what all the good Christmas movies are actually about. Home Alone, it's about Kevin being present with his family once again. It's a Wonderful Life. It's about George Bailey realizing his family wants him to stick around and be present with them. Die hard. <laughs> It's about John McClane's willingness to walk over glass and kill a bunch of terrorists in order to make things right with his estranged wife who lives in Los Angeles. It's all about being powerfully present with the people that matter most, isn't it? God has gone out of his way to be scandalously, intimately, and powerfully present with us. What kind of Christmas could you have if you really believed that and let your own celebration be shaped by it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you are God, not a God who is far off, but you are a God who in every respect has come close. Constantly, continually, seeking us out to be near us in the garden, in the end, in all things through Jesus Christ, you seek us out. Help us to hold tight and hold fast to that truth first and foremost today and be comforted by it that we are forgiven, we are loved, and that we are victorious through Jesus Christ in his effort to be present with us. And may that shape how we love and how we live this Christmas season and beyond. May we seek to be powerfully present with others as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.